Welcome to Tits Up. When things go tits up, they're broken. Tits up can also mean brave up and get on with it. This is what we do as mothers. When things are broken, we pull up our big girl pants and we wade through the muck. At the time, I didn't really get how gentle approaches could possibly look with a baby like mine. I really thought they must have been for more settled babies. You know, feeding to sleep wasn't the devil that it was made out to be. Doing things that actually felt right instead of just doing what I thought was right because other people told me to. On the one hand, you're listening to your heart and your baby. And on the other hand, you've got all this pressure that you're doing things wrong. And I think it's almost more stressful than having to wait for baby. That it, like because it's this hard, there must be something wrong if you don't do something about it. And it's just not so because babies grow. That baby wasn't sleeping on you during the day. If it would go in the clock, you'd be able to get more done around the house. And I thought, oh, look, even partners don't understand. Stress for the parents to think I left my baby to cry and he was actually in pain. And sometimes there's just not a fix because nothing was broken in the first place. So, oh, that's such an important message. Welcome to Tits Up. Our Tits Up guest today is Carly Grubb, and we are discussing the truth about sleep training. Hi, Carly, hi, Carly. Carly is the director of the Beyond Sleep Training Project Support Group and the charity Little Sparklers. She's a mum of three and she lives in Mount Isa, Australia. So you're right out in the Wild West, aren't you, Carly? So welcome, Carly. And I'm really thrilled to be having this chat with you after watching you on your journey from being a confused new mum to now supporting literally thousands of families across, or hundreds of thousands of families across the world. So welcome, Carly. Thank you very much for having me, Pinky. It's a bit of an honour to be here. Uh, it's just lovely. But just tell us a little bit about your, you know, I've just given a very brief intro. Just tell us a little bit more about you and what you're doing. Okay, so I'm an Australian mum of three children. Um, they are seven, nearly six and three years old now. So I'm a little bit further down my journey than I was when I began all of this work. Um, I am the founder and managing director of an Australian-based charity called Little Sparklers. And that actually came out of the work that I began in the Beyond Sleep Training Project on Facebook. So I started a group in 2017 uh, originally to help me write a book uh, where I could share stories of how families were doing life without sleep training or failing at it like I did. Um, and I thought it would be really small and niche, but I just, I really felt like it, we needed to have more real life stories of how, how this could work. And so I'd set out to do it. And it just kind of exploded um, and became a peer support space for people to actually um, be able to talk to each other and come up with um, solutions or just vent and get advice from people who weren't going to take them down that sleep training path. So, and then this year I managed to do a bit of a full circle with it where I finally got to actually start collecting tales from real people um, about how they're managing sleep and started the Beyond Sleep Training podcast. Um, so it's not quite the book I originally thought I would be doing, but the podcast is doing the same job, but probably even better because it's such a great flexible format to be doing it in. 
and to reaching so many people. So can you just tell listeners about how your journey began, that tits up experience with your very first baby? Oh man, I fell so tits up with my first baby. Um, He was an extremely wakeful little sparkler of a baby. He came into the world eyes wide open, extraordinarily alert and um, extremely needy. Um, But I had really not a clue about how how to live a life with a baby like that and I also I don't think I had realistic expectations around sleep for even a very normal (laughs) baby not that you know he was normal but it was way on the extreme end of things and so I, I really had it in my head that you know, babies slept in their cots and could be put down. And, you know, I wanted to breastfeed, but I, I really didn't have a great understanding of how breastfeeding looked over a 24 hour period, let alone how it looked over the years of actually doing it. And so I, I got lost really quick and I started to look for um, advice and support from those I thought would know better around me. Um, people who'd had babies before or worked with children and babies. And unfortunately, all of that advice kind of came from a sleep training base. Um, And so I started to feel very much like I must have been doing things wrong. And so um, by about four, it was four and a half months, I ended up in a sleep school, a, a mother baby unit. And it was a horrific experience. Um, I have shared it in great detail on my podcast or our podcast um, in episode two. If people wanted to go and have a listen, it's it's a pretty rough rough listen for people, um, but it does explain a lot about how sleep training can actually look from not just the glossy success stories, I guess that you often hear being told where it saves someone's sanity. Um, but it actually really, really had a detrimental effect on my mental well-being, but also more crucially, my relationship with my baby. So I had heard of Pinky McKay um, briefly before I went into that experience, but at the time I didn't really get how gentle approaches could possibly look with a baby like mine. I really thought they must have been for more settled babies. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was I know I know I know but it's yeah. just like you know that all sounds nice but they haven't met my baby like how can you possibly maintain that when they wake you know 20 times a night and so it just kind of didn't um it didn't gel with me at the time and it's almost like I had to learn the really hard way um and and figure out that actually that was going to ultimately be the approach my baby needed um but yeah unfortunately I I got fully broken before I realized that. Um, So it was after I'd been through the sleep training experience and tried to claw myself back out the other side when it wasn't working that I came across the likes of Pinky um, and and various other people online who were actually talking about how you could respond to your baby and answer their cries and not spoil them. And, you know, feeding to sleep wasn't the devil that it was made out to be in sleep training world. And I started to kind of, I guess, find my feet as a mother doing things that actually felt right instead of just doing what I thought was right because other people told me to. And that feeling, you know, I always say, is it safe? Is it respectful? And does it feel right for you as as the filter for when you get this new advice? And 
then you I remember you coming to me and you wrote a blog and Carly's first blog is actually on my website about her baby and her journey so I'll link to that in the show notes but you were quite anxious about starting your own website and putting your own you know starting your own blog about your journey you were anxious about what other people would think of you you were anxious that you know it might not be helpful for other people all of those things and yet look where you are now with this massive support group and I think too when people think about gentle they think that it means nothing's going to change you just have to suck it up which actually it doesn't mean that at all but um you know and often that pressure I mean maybe we should talk a little bit about actually sleep training you know I googled sleep training this morning before this interview and I haven't done that for I don't know, so long, and I was blown away at the entries, the ads, the articles about how to sleep train, how to sleep train properly, seven best tips for sleep training. There's just so much, and it's obviously big business. So what are you seeing happening? And then what is an actual definition of sleep training? Because it really is a spectrum, isn't it? Yeah, it really is a spectrum, and, and you know, the marketing that goes in around it is very much catching on to the idea that uh, that families don't feel comfortable um, treating their baby ungently, funnily enough, um, because that that there is that natural instinct in our body that tells us when our baby cries that we want to answer that cry. And so the, the industry very much relies on being able to um, downplay the meanings of our baby's cries and their genuine needs for us. And they they switch it out to make it seem like it's more like an optional want or that they've been, um, you know, they haven't been afforded the, the opportunity to have the distance um, to do things on their own. Like their independence only comes if we kind of force it and, you know, um, be strong and don't answer those cries too soon to give them the chance to sort themselves out that kind of a thinking. And so there's a, there is a lot, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of muck to wage your way through. And a lot of the time it's actually, it all kind of begins long before you actually start Googling how to sleep train. And it comes from that kind of information where when they're tiny and newborns, you're being told to not hold them too much or they might get used to it. Or maybe you want to try a feed play sleep routine because, you know, feeding to sleep might mean that they expect that each time. And they have these like negative connotations to the more natural nurturing intuitive uh, intuitive acts. yeah and the things that we do because not only does it feel right to do those things it also generally is what our babies were actually always asking for so it works and um, for anyone who's been a very exhausted first-time parent um, you know you you do end up doing what works um, and so when you have these messages coming into you to tell you that actually you might not want to do that because you're setting yourself up for it with a bad habit that you're going to need to break or whatnot. Really, it's all just feeding the sleep training beast. And so you become quite primed to it. And um, by the time you get to out of that newborn period um, and 
often babies have a pretty rough patch around that four months of age when they really wake up out of the newborn haze. And it, it's, it's a really easy marketing trick for the industry to jump right on in and prey on that really exhausted vulnerability um, that m- many families are feeling and start to try and break that, um, those pat- nurturing patterns that you've usually established with your baby at that point that rod for your back that you have created yeah (laughs) isn't it sad it's so sad because I think the pressure that you feel as though you're doing something wrong with your baby so you're stepping back yeah and you know pushing away that intuition that bond and the thing is by the time you've had your baby your pituitary which is that little gland at the base of your brain is double its normal size it's churning out a whole mummy margarita of hormones that are telling you to be responsive to your baby and this is why all this bombardment of crap from outside you is so confusing because on the one hand you're listening to your heart and your baby and on the other hand you've got all this pressure that you're doing things wrong and it's I think it's almost more stressful than having a wakeful baby Oh, absolutely. Wading through that and like all the second guessing that you do of yourself and your baby is really intense. And so I think the other thing that happens around that age is, is like not only are they quite wakeful at that stage generally, um, they've usually gone through a bit more of a settle patch around three months. So when they start waking again, it really does raise that that um, alert level in the parent thinking, oh no, have I done something wrong? Like they were sleeping okay and now they're not. Like maybe there is something to this. And so it's like a it plays on that anxiety. And a four-month-old baby still needs so much from you. They're still needing quite a lot of sleep during the day. So you know you're dealing in multiple naps, especially if they're a bit of a, a cat napper, like I've I've had patches with all three of my babies where they would have short sleeps and that can be quite painful because they end up needing quite a few of those to be able to get through the day Um, and if they're hard work to settle then that that's a lot of work for you and so and then you know they're waking a lot at night so when you're hearing this messages it's very hard to not get in the oh I can't sustain this like this is not sustainable I can't do this moving forward and so you start to look for ways out as though there is an easier way out not because you're looking for an easy way out but because you think that it like because it's this hard there must be something wrong um and so i think that's that's part of the success of the industry it it knows this it Mm. knows that that's it but it's also playing on the forever card like this is going to be that way forever if you don't do something about it and it's just not so because babies grow and develop and need less day sleep and less of you as time passes by just because that's the nature of babies growing up I think that forever card is the big thing you know instead of being present we're thinking ahead and going if I don't get this in the bud now you know I'm going to be having this child that wakes up but nine months 10 months a year or 18 months or it'll never sleep by herself or I'll always be feeding my child to sleep or whatever, you know, and I say things to parents like you might want a breast when he's 18, you know, he might want to snuggle up to a nice warm breast when he's 18. It's not going to be yours. But I mean, even that, even joking about it, it's not, you don't want to think, can I do this for another week when you're feeling, I can't even do it for another day or two, you know, I'm, I'm wrecked. So, you know, it is, it is a hard, hard time, but when it comes to, so what are you, you know, with the mums that you're seeing, what do you see as the biggest pressures for mums around sleep? 
I think it's that because there's so little acknowledgement of the importance of the nurturing work that it's often being done around trying to fit everything else in. And so a lot of the time there's a lack of support to be able to do all those other things that life demands of people. And so there's this real crush where the, the person who's doing most of the nurturing work, usually the mother, is basically a one human like pylon. Like she's carrying a weight of far too many roles in, in, in her household and in her community generally. And because of that, it's, it can seem like the, the wakeful behaviour of the baby is the thing that's actually breaking her, whereas it's like failing to acknowledge all the other things that are actually going into making her so completely exhausted that it's nearly impossible for her to keep up with that nurturing work for her child. So I, I think that what we see quite often is that there's um, a lot of very tired parents wondering how on earth they're meant to keep going um, and they're looking for the answer around the baby's sleep. And then when we're able to work with them around acknowledging that actually their babe's behaviour is actually pretty typical, but how can we help you improve your well-being um, around that, that we actually start to come up with some solutions that are more sustainable for that family. That's right. I actually noticed um, um, one of the messages, one of the posts on the Beyond Sleep Training um, Facebook page, and I think it was last night, it was very recent, and this poor woman was having pressure from her husband because he was saying, you know, if that baby wasn't sleeping on you, it was a very young baby, if that baby wasn't sleeping on you during the day, if it would go in the clock, you'd be able to get more done around the house. And I thought, oh, look, even partners don't understand. That's it. It's, it's, but it's deep too. Like, you know, mm. the partners don't understand, but they don't understand for the same reasons that the vast majority of society doesn't understand and it's to do with the lack of value that's placed in the work so even even for um, mothers of previous generations and whatnot who perhaps do actually have a better grasp of the magnitude of the work that goes into a raising a small human they often weren't ever afforded any appreciation or value so they might not um, no. necessarily see it as having been some of the most important work that will ever be done in their lives. Whereas we know that now, we know that nurturing a, a, a healthy brain can actually set your kid up for life. Um, and we also, we're trying to unmask some of that stuff that's always been done behind closed doors. But a part of doing that is also unpicking the fact that the way society is set up now means that we often do it on our own. And that's not how humans were ever meant to raise our little people, we were never meant to be on our own to do that. And so, you know, living in our own homes where we're meant to do all these other tasks as well as as everything yeah, else that yeah, goes on, it's, yeah. it's, it's just too much for any one human. And, and that's just a fact. And it's, it's mm. not something that we can necessarily solve on the spot for a, any family, but being able to actually pinpoint where the problems actually lie and not just blame it on the baby's wakeful behaviour is actually part of us eventually, hopefully, finding a solution for broader society. And it's also such a vicious cycle because when mum becomes stressed, that baby, you know, those stress hormones are all around that baby. So she's anxious every sleep time. So, of course, the baby's going to be more restless. And that pressure, but also with the pandemic that we've had, mothers are, you know, there's a lot of mothers who are very isolated much yeah. more so than they have been ever before. 
Absolutely. It's like put it on steroids. But in a way, I'm hoping maybe that that's also helped to highlight this issue a little bit more because even though it was never ideal, even before the pandemic, seeing what was there stripped away has made it even more apparent how unnatural it is to be raising our babies in isolation um, and how inhumane it is to expect a mother uh, to flourish or be, find any kind of wellness when she's expected to do all of this alone with maybe a marginal little bit of help from a partner because that's the reality for most families. While there are some amazing partners out there who actually do take on all that they should in terms of responsibility in the home, we know from the vast majority of families that we deal with that that's simply not the case currently. Mm. Mm. And I think, look, the, if the partner's going out to work or working with, you know, there'll be, I remember my husband coming home with some tips from Madge the tea lady about babies and sleep. And I'm like, you know, where Madge can go. She's, you know, over 50 now. She can't even remember her own kids. And was she breastfeeding them? Was she sitting there with them? You know, I had, I think I was up to baby number four or something and she was a super Velcro baby, but Madge the bloody tea lady could tell me what to do. Go back and give Madge her scone. <laughs> It's really hard, isn't it? And because people do feel like, I don't think they, like quite often they'll be offering the advice out of like, you know, genuine love. care. Yeah. But at the same time, and it's the kind of, I don't, there is still a lot of, well, if it was good for me and it's good for you, or if it's like, if I could do it, then you could do it kind of attitude. Mm. And it's like, really, is that really the best we can do? Like if we had a really rough time of it, surely our aim should be to make that different for families of the future. Like, you know, it yeah. doesn't have to be that way just because it always was or wasn't always, you know, that's a cultural thing again. But it, just because it was real struggle for previous generations, we can acknowledge that struggle and then we can strive to do better. Um, and that's kind of the work that we're doing. We're not saying that the, you know, things like sleep training, I know where that came from. I know why it, it rose. I know why I did it. Um, but that doesn't mean that's something I think we should be offering up as the best solution for families moving forward because we can definitely do better than that yeah yeah and when it comes to and I think what I find a big frustration is that for how long we've had the research we know you know the science behind infant brain development and why it's important to respond to our babies and you know, and that's not just responding when they cry, that's actually being responsive and being attuned to your baby. And, you know, if you want to try something new with your baby, just watch how your baby, you know, behaves when you do that. You know, you might get your baby about three months old and you might be able to just pop them down in their cot. And, you know, I know with my third baby, I'd had two boys and we'd been traveling around, big fat boys. And if in doubt, flop it out, they'd have a boob and fall asleep. And there was no one because we were, weren't in you know, community until I had the second one. Um, and I very luckily found La Leche League in New Zealand and went along. So there were mothers very naturally nurturing their children. I'd had, had it all the rod for my back with my first child because I was the only person breastfeeding. I mean, it was the 13th grandchild on my husband's side and the first baby to be breastfed. And I was told about all the rods I was making for my back and demand feeding was a very dirty word in the seventies. I mean, it's obviously called pew feeding now and you're watching your baby's pews, but you know, a lot of that stuff was pressure. But when it came to this third baby, I needed to go to the toilet one day because here I was helping her, rocking her, cuddling her. I popped her in her cradle 
but she didn't sleep in in the day in the night time anyway but I popped her there it was like her whole body relaxed thank goodness that woman and her boobs have got the hell out of my face and I came back from the toilet she's lying there watching her hands and I watched her and went I've got one that just goes to sleep oh my gosh oh my gosh it was only one out of five the next two didn't do that either but you know I think you can try things with your baby and if they're not upset if they're happy to you know lie there and babble to themselves and go to sleep some of them will do that but some of them won't they'll need a lot more help but it's okay to try those things Absolutely. And at different points in time too, because just mm. because something didn't work when they were three months old doesn't mean that, you know, it's not worth a crack when they're six or eight months old or whatever. But the thing is with it always is to know that you do not have to stick at something that is clearly not working for you or your baby. And you can trash to gut on that. Like there's really yes. no harm in pulling back. Cause I think there's a lot of this whole, I know for me with the sleep training stuff, but this happens in general, is this idea that unless you're consistent and persistent, then you really haven't given something a go. And I get that. Like, you know, some things do take a little bit of time to do, but being consistent and persistent with something that is blatantly wrong for you and your baby is not ever going to work. And it's okay to call it when you see it. So you don't need to stick at something regardless. So if you do something, you're like, oh yeah, like, you know, they seem happy enough for a few minutes and you're like, oh, I might give that a try again tomorrow. Cool. Do that. But if you're putting your baby down and they're instantly distressed and it's just not getting any better, pick them up and move on. Like you don't need to waste any of your time and energy on it. And just because it doesn't work for them today doesn't mean that it won't ever happen for them. You don't need to catastrophize about it. It's just not where they're at right now. And it's okay. for gentle respectful ways to help your baby and you sleep without compromising breastfeeding or the beautiful bond between you and your little one take a look at my book sleeping like a baby here's what mums are saying about sleeping like a baby hello pinky i just wanted to reach out and thank you for your book sleeping like a baby i have struggled and obsessed over my 10 month old baby's sleep for a long time now your book has been so comforting to me And it has been the best thing I've read since he's been born. I love that you reassure and remind mums to trust their instincts and do whatever works. I've loved reading it from front to back. And that one's from Ruby. And I have another one here too that says, you made me feel confident. You made me realise I needed to trust my instincts and you helped me implement gentle strategies into my life, which meant I could continue to work full time in a high stress job too, and successfully breastfeed, often co-sleeping and developing strong attachment with both my kids. So basically a huge thank you for your books, Sleeping Like a Baby. And that one's from Leah. You can purchase a copy of Sleeping Like a Baby on my website, pinkymckay.com, and you can download the first chapter for free there too. Sleeping Like a Baby is also available on Audible if you don't have time to read. And at the moment, it's free if you have an Audible membership. So that's Sleeping Like a Baby from my website, pinkymckay.com. And even then, there's so much head thinking around baby sleep, you know, awake windows, sleep windows, maths and counting and how often did she wake up and how long did she feed for? And people are writing it down in exercise books. And 
apps and you just go stop it just stop it it doesn't matter and you know awake windows or sleep windows or how much a baby sleeps in 24 hours it's going to vary with every baby just as it varies with every adult yeah and the thing is too is you'll pick a pattern if you've got a pattern you don't really actually you can see it yeah, yeah that's it like because my my third little girl she was like way more of a predictable person my first guy I tracked like there's you know I had apps I had everything the only thing predictable about him was how unpredictable he was he every single day was different there was no pattern and you know if if he did happen to sleep a longer stretch because let's face it that rarely happened I was definitely that person who tried to recreate the entire day to see we if all I do make that it again. <laughs> we and all yeah, do like, that <laughs> exactly but you know all of my obsessive tracking actually made me less in tune with him because I was looking for a pattern that was never there and things only ever got better with him when I could just accept that and roll with the day whereas with my third well my second baby I never tracked anything um and he was kind of up and down he was pretty like cruisy dude it really wasn't too bad but he definitely had very wakeful patches um but I just after my first guy I refused to count I had no clock in my room I never kept track of anything um and then I found with my third baby she did kind of have those wake windows where it was like oh yeah she'd be up for um, an hour and a half in the morning and then it was usually two hours after that nap she'd go down for another nap and she was predictable like that for ages and I would like you know it was really handy you really quick plan your day around that but that wasn't anything I'd done that was just her and awesome if your babe is someone who you can predict around that's great um, but if you can't you haven't done anything wrong and it's much easier just to roll with it quite honestly and sometimes when you get a third baby or a fourth or a fifth or whatever, I mean, I've got five, but, you know, you might have to go and pick up another kid or take yeah. them to sports or whatever. So you're going to stuff up their pattern anyway. She, she <laughs> was permanently, it used to be like, I used to hate it with a passion, but she would always need a sleep right around kindy pickup. And the poor little darling, like she just, she didn't transfer well. And so it was always this like, as it would get closer to pick up time, I'm like, okay, do I give her some boob now and put her straight in the car or do I try and get her down a bit earlier? And then, you know, you'd be waking up a tired baby, putting her in the car, but it was just life of a third baby. And it, yeah, she was fine. Like she'd have another nap later, but it is, it's kind of a gross feeling when you do have to just disrupt them constantly. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It was life. It was life of a third baby. Yeah. Yeah. It just it just happens, yeah. And I think sometimes it can take one or two babies, or you, you or you can do a very strict routine perhaps with your first baby because you can focus all day long on the clock or whatever. And then the second baby comes along, and that other baby's a toddler, and you can't manage it. So that's often when it got when it feels pear shaped for you because you can't yeah. follow that schedule anymore. I guess for me too, though, though we thought, I'm thinking about it with the second and third baby because my first two were very close together, so we didn't have like the kindy school mm. schedules to worry about. But I do know like particularly when my first guy dropped napping and whatnot um, and then with the third baby, I really needed a protected time in the day where it was rest time in my house. Um, so it wasn't that we had like a scheduled like nap for everybody or the baby or anything like that. But when I knew it was getting, it was always sometime around lunchtime, um, 
where when I knew the baby was going to be up for a bit of a snooze or whatnot, I'd set my big tod- my toddlers up with a movie or and snacks and things like that. And I'd go have a lay down with the baby. And that was our protected rest time for the day. So even if everything else went to pot, I knew I got at least a 15 minute lay down because sometimes, you know, you know, that was about all you got before someone needed their bum wiped or whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just, it was, I don't it would often get me through if I was feeling a bit weary, just knowing that when it got to that time of day, I'd set everybody up and we just chill and relax. And I think that was quite a, um, a good way to go in that we didn't need to have a set schedule to be able to achieve that. We could just work around everybody um, and find that time in the day and get that that in even if everything else was disrupted I actually used to do that and I and I think you know quiet time I didn't have tv at that stage but I would put the lego out or something the boys would play the lego and even if it meant I lay on the sofa while that baby was having a sleep somewhere else it just meant I had a downtime and it's more of a rhythm to the day rather than any sort of rigid schedule it's just a rhythm that you can work with to get because it's the other ways that you can get a little bit of rest or a little bit of energy or a little bit of replenishment for yourself is nice and look there are other reasons babies might be waking up and it could be you know food sensitivities it can be all sorts of other reasons and looking at those reasons without doing your head in like a you know crazy person but you can find reasons that they're waking up sometimes and you know and I do all that in my book it's not just suck it up ladies you know, yeah, we'll be gentle thing. and you don't have to, you, you know, there's no solution or no answers for it. Well, that's and at it. different and ages, yeah, it'll be different. You, and you can tell, like, you know, oftentimes, like we've, we've actually found a lot and we've heard it quite a few times on the podcast now too, where as um, our very wakeful, like I'm talking super wakeful, not just your typical wakeful babe, but the super wakeful kids, quite often down the track that there will be something identified that was actually probably underlying some of that wakefulness. And sometimes it's not so obvious when they're babies. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you'll work out there's allergies or intolerances. Um, non-food allergies is another one that comes up because a lot of time people only consider the food-related allergies with an upset belly, but there can be other, other allergies that are non-food that can also be interrupting things. Um, but things like apnea um, and... Mm. We're, we're seeing quite a lot of um, children who are seeing ENTs later, uh, finding that they've got glue ear, um, extremely enlarged tonsils and whatnot um, that can be actually interrupting their sleep as well. So, yes, certainly if there's extreme patterns to wakefulness or if babies are waking, screaming in pain and distress and whatnot, mm. these are sure signs that something's up. So, yes, extremely wakeful behavior is not always something to write off as normal but neither is it something that you need to deal with with sleep training so that's something that I think a lot of the time if you've got one of those really wakeful babes generally that's where a lot of the support services will send you um, and that's really not addressing the underlying issues that can be it's actually quite harmful because these poor little kids are in distress yeah. And they're being left to cry or not responded to to some varying degrees. And we think mm-hmm. if we were, you know, having different waking because we had a bit of sleep apnea or having sore ears or pressure from teething, even, you know, all these little things that you don't want to think that you're not attending to your baby when later on you find and there's so much guilt goes with that. So much okay. stress for the parents to think I left my baby to cry and he was actually in pain. 
Yeah, that's it. And it's, but it's, it's really hard on parents who are absolutely trying to get the help that their babe needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if they've been, you know, if they've been to see people who they are trusting to know about this kind of thing, it can be really distressing to later find out that actually there was something going on. So I, I would say to anyone listening along too, if you have got a babe who you're, you are concerned that there might be something else going on, it is well worth diving in and seeing what um, if you can get any more information on it and feel free to obviously keep advocating for your little person when it comes to health professionals and refusing to be a part of the sleep training part of it Um, because we also we've heard on our podcast a few times where families have got on top of things like allergies and reflux and whatnot only to be then told that they then need to sleep train because of all the bad habits that they developed while their baby was unwell and it's like no actually let's just keep nurturing that babe and generally their sleep patterns calm down to go along with their pain calming down funnily enough funny that isn't it Mm, yes and the other sad thing is like I mean you're never just an over anxious first time mother don't ever let anyone tell you that you are paying that health professionals kids school fees you've paid for this help (laughs) you're contributing you know you're contributing even through your free health services, because I think that's Mm. the thing too, that there's a lot of health services and they are delivering some great services out there. And we need, we need families being able to access support. Like we said, with the pandemic, you know, parents haven't been able to access support that they need, but it is okay to question the advice that you're hearing. If it doesn't feel right to you, because some of the advice that comes out of these people is not in the best interest of your child. And it's okay for you to make that call. You don't need to follow it as gospel. Um, And if you are feeling uncomfortable with it, it's okay to also look for a different approach to go with for your family. Mm. Take the health advice. You know, obviously, you know, you need your child checked. But the thing is, there is a lot of, like you said, sleep training industry where people are not health trained, which is scary as hell. And, you know, how do... Desperate mums sought out the gentle support from that bait and switch of sleep trainers who claim to use the gentle methods mm. to help babies sleep. They're actually justifying processes that are still one size fits all training that they've learned in a sleep training course, possibly yep. online. They have no early childhood, no health credentials where they could actually even ask the mother, how is she? Because sometimes the mother has become so anxious or she's got a postnatal anxiety issue going on and somewhere that baby's in the realm of normal. But, you know, they're offering that one one size fits all that's very stressful for that mother, but they're also negating that mother's feelings around her baby and parents. What are some of the red flags? Oh, definitely. As soon as they start talking self-settling and self-soothing, it's just a physical impossibility for babies. Like, you know, we've talked about your baby, you could pop her down and she would go off to sleep, but that's a completely different thing. And you're not going Mm. to need to hire a sleep consultant to figure that out. You'll know you've got one of those babies because you'll put her down and that's what will happen. You won't be calling the sleep trainer. (laughs) So generally, if you're needing to, if you're there Googling sleep consultants and whatnot, you probably don't have one of those babies and welcome to the club because most human babies are not like that. And that's for good reason. We are carry mammals. We are meant to be dependent as infants. We are meant to 
need that co-regulation of a caregiver um, to be able to find peaceful sleep. That's not actually a sleep problem. So it's a really big signal um, when you see any sleep consultant talking about how they're going to have your baby self-settling um, because generally that means that they are working against your baby's biology. So that's the first big red flag. Another big one is usually that they're saying that changes are going to happen, um, like you'll see in their testimonials, things like baby was sleeping through the night in three days. That's sleep training. That is not something that generally happens uh, without you having to endure significant distress from your child. Whether they say that that is supported distress or not, um, it is going to be sleep training and it will be focused on making your baby making, and I'm saying making, making your baby more independent from you. Um, but that doesn't mean that they are actually more independent. It just means that they're no longer going to ask for what they need, which is, is one of the consequences of sleep training. Um, so that'd be my top, top red flags. Anything that's advising you to do a feed play sleep routine is also a red flag. Feeding to sleep is the biological norm of our species and to do so otherwise, some babies fall into that pattern naturally themselves. And once again, it's the same as like your baby being placed down and, you know, popping off to sleep. That's fine because that was your baby's pattern. That's how, how they need to be fed or responded to. It's okay to roll with that. But to impose that on your baby is actually putting your breastfeeding relationship at risk. Because as soon as you remove the feeding and sleeping um, relationship from being together, you are actually really risking your supply because a lot of the time it's that feeding to sleep and the suckling in the night and whatnot that is actually what keeps your supply in place for you. So that I think that would be my top three red flags. Can you think of anything else? I missed any. I think those are really good ones. And I... Just trying to think of others. Yeah, but, but I think that pressure to your baby needs to, you know, your baby is too dependent on you or you're sitting. Oh, yeah. oh the other one I saw the other day was that if your baby doesn't get in these good sleep patterns, um, they're not going to meet their milestones. You know, oh, yeah, brain milestones. Development. Brain development. And yeah. I think that's, you know, really, really scary. Yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah. that's a, that kind of goes with the whole that um, they need to achieve a certain amount of sleep in a 24 hour period to be developing well, that is rot. There is not evidence to support that. Everybody needs sleep. Babies do need a lot of sleep, but the evidence shows that how much any given baby needs at, at different ages is a huge range. So anyone who is using that against you to make it seem like your baby is not going to be able to develop properly because they're not getting X amount of sleep, big red flag, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I saw that the other day and it was a sleep trainer on Instagram and I just went, ah! Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah they, use, they do that use is definitely. such, you know, emotional blackmail because, oh. you know, and, and, like and just naps, those catnapping, yes, saying cat-napping. that that's not restful sleep. Honestly, it's absolute, it's absolute Or the other rubbish. one about junk sleep. If your junk baby sleep, sleeps yeah. in the pram or, a, or in a carrier, it's babies, junk sleep. Babies all around the world forever have slept to the rhythm of their family's lives always they've always been you know strapped to mum's back or on her chest or with the family listening to the rhythm of life you know catching sleep when they could catch sleep and whatnot and and whether that was short or long um was very 
very variable. Uh, it's absolutely rubbish that your baby cannot get the sleep that they need if they're having short sleeps. Sometimes they'll have a short sleep and they'll go back to sleep again if you shove a boob in quick enough and they'll have a bit longer and that's great. But other times if they're just having short naps, that's actually all they needed to take the edge off. And that is actually fine. Um, so that's another bit of fear-mongering rubbish we do here. Because mm, people can be resettling and resettling and resettling uh, and spend all, you know, another half an hour resettling this baby and the baby sleeps for another 10 minutes and you go, well, the day's gone. We could honestly, have got that baby up, popped him in a carrier. He might have fallen asleep again. Go for a walk, get on with the housework, hang out the washing. The level of with, frustration. Whatever. Yeah, and mm. that also comes back to insisting that babies go down for their nap instead of having them up with you. If they're not going down, like contact napping is a totally valid way for you to also get some rest if you can, um, but carriers and whatnot are a brilliant tool to be able to still keep babe close and get on with the things that you want to get on with, and it's a totally um, valid option to be able to get your your baby the rest that they need um it's yeah that's a, I'm just thinking about the waking up thing too a lot of people get really hung up on bedtime and once baby's gone to bed they need to you know stay in bed it's a really you know there, there'll be ages and stages your baby goes through where you would have thought that was bedtime but actually it was just a super late nap and you'll be in there yes. trying to get them back to sleep and they're actually just <laughs> wide awake and it's okay to go with that it doesn't mean that they'll never have a bedtime you know, all my babies have done that at different times and they all go to bed. No worries now as bigger people. So just because your baby is doing one thing does not mean they're going to be doing that when they reach school age. So any of that kind of fear mongering forever stuff, also a red flag. It's not forever. Mm. None of it's forever. Yep. That they have to be in bed by 7pm or they have to be awake by 7am and you just go, what? Yeah. There's no research around it and kids will vary. And you know, they might have a nice midday nap and you might have a midday nap in the middle of summer and it's daylight till nine o'clock and you'll go out for a walk after dinner. And if you live in the city, maybe you go and have a walk and have coffee and dessert somewhere with your baby. That's it. And and lots of kids are solar powered. My my oldest guy is solar powered. So in summer, he's always up earlier um, and, he, and he has trouble going to bed until the sun's gone down. Um, and, you know, in winter, he's in bed much earlier because as soon as that sun goes down, it's like his little battery goes, and he pays out and it, it's amazing he's very seasonal um and I've heard that 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 can be the case for some people they're very got a very strong um regulator in their body that it's the melatonin release that comes with that the the daylight hours whereas my other two are much more standard like it doesn't vary as much across the seasons for them so yeah, you can see it in your own little person, um, but there, there's lots of things at play here and it's not necessarily that you're doing anything wrong um, that I think we need to get that message out there. Mm, mm. And it's just like adults, when you think adults, you know, some people can function really well on five or six hours a night and I find people who work in hospitality, people with busy brains of some sort, athletes, and there is some evidence around it being genetic too. So, you know, yeah. if you're an athlete, really strong body, need very little sleep, to be functional and active, perhaps, I mean, not just athletes, but it, just for example, if you are, um, you may have a child or if your partner is, you may have a child that takes after you. And yeah. I've got one child who at six months needed eight hours in any 24. Yeah. I had a two-year-old who was having, you know, nice sleeps at night by then, but <laughs> and a daytime sleep of a couple of hours, but his baby brother wasn't. So, and at five months he was crawling. So, you know, it hadn't impacted his development at all, but okay you know, he was reaching milestones. He was doing all sorts of things and he was as happy 
and he was on the 95th percentile. You know, it didn't impact him at all. But he was a big exception to the... Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing. There's going to be outliers for everything. And it can be really hard in your context too. So like mm. if you are if you are um, someone who needs to be have everybody up and off to daycare at 6.30 in the morning, it can be a problem if you've got a night owl baby who doesn't want to go to bed till 11 o'clock at night. But once again, like, you know, you can work and try and find ways that might assist to shift things around for you. But at the end of the day, also accepting the individual that you've got and working from there is going to be much less painful for everybody while you work out how to manage that in your context. Um, so, you know, it's it, none of this is a perfect science, but I think that's the whole point. The sleep trainers trying to make it out like they have a solution for everything. And sometimes there's just not a fix because nothing was broken in the first place. So, oh, that's such an important message. Yeah, it's just such an important message. Well, that's a, and a lot of people too, it's that it comes back to the whole idea that if something's really hard, people getting in that stress mode of I must be doing something wrong. And it's like not always the case. Sometimes the hardest things we do in life are also the most worthwhile. And there's not always an easy way through. Sometimes you just got to go through the hard time. And so mm. I think sometimes depending on the personality of the baby in your house and the circumstances you find that you're living in, sometimes it really is just that hard and it's okay to accept that and then work out ways to boost your well-being and support you and your capability to keep up with that child um, while you make it through that time together. I know that was the biggest thing for me with my, my first baby when he was such a challenging babe. I adored him. And, but I was having such a miserable time with him. And I just kind of had to come to the, the understanding that I didn't want to look back and realize that I hated every minute of his babyhood. I had to find ways to find some enjoyment in life with him. Once I could accept that he really was going to push me to my very limits. Um, and life just got so much better. It didn't get easier at all, uh, but it did get better when I could just accept him for who he was, except that I was going to have a really tough time doing life with him, but we could make it more beautiful um, when we worked together than when I was fighting against him. That's beautiful. And just before we do finish up, what messages do you have for parents who, you know, like you were with your first baby, mums who've tried sleep training and now they feel really bad or they worry that they've broken their child in some way? Yeah, I, I can so empathise. I think one of the things that I could not stand and I still can't stand is, and it's done with a lot of love from people generally, but they try to tell me that he wouldn't remember it and like it's, you know, he's fine. Don't worry about it. it it's really not like that. Like I, I'm quite accepting of the decisions I made at the time. I know what went into them. I know I did them with love. I know that I did them with the best of intentions, but I also know that it was the wrong thing to do. And so I can accept that what I thought was best at the time is not something I'd ever do again. Um, and I can learn from that. So that's been a huge part of my healing has been accepting that I, I can learn something from that time and I can love him hard. I can love him so hard and I can and appreciate all of the areas of growth I got through the experience I had. Um, finding my feet with him and I'm just so grateful that he kept calling for me and that I had uh, I've had all the opportunities I've had after that time to nurture him and his brain the way that he needed um, ever since 
really. So my, my tip would be to wherever you are in your journey, just love them hard from this point forward. Acknowledge what you wish you'd done differently, but also don't beat yourself up about it, knowing that you really did do what you thought was right at that time and move forward, move forward with love and nurture. Um, Apologise if you want to or need to and move forward from there. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, before we do sign off, thank you for sharing your beautiful work in the world and for sharing so much good stuff on this interview today. And where can professionals go for more of your wonderful support on the Beyond Sleep Training Project and Little Sparklers, you know, your website, your social media, and I will pop these in the show notes too. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty much where you can find us. At the moment, we are working on some um, resources for health professionals specifically that we are hoping to then develop into a bit of a training program as well using um, a lot of the the advice we oh, not advice but the sorry the feedback we're receiving from people in the group and also with experts to help us form that up um, so that's that's coming through little sparklers we're banking that our, our ongoing project um, the free peer support group the beyond sleep training project is always there for families who are looking for support right now um, and we have yes the little sparklers website and the beyond sleep training podcast which is sharing um, real stories from real families about how this time can look. And hopefully that gives people some great ideas about what might be options for them and gets you thinking and imagining your own life with your babe. That's beautiful. Now, just finally, and ask everybody this, how, what's your best tip for mothers to be the mother you want to be? Oh, definitely listen to your heart. Cause even if it's, um, can be hard to figure out exactly what your baby wants or needs at any given time. Your heart's a really, really great place to tap into um, when you're trying to figure out if if it's the right thing to do or not do with your babe. If it's hurting a little bit and you can feel in your heart it doesn't feel right, it probably means it's not. And I found that once I could actually trust myself and trust my baby, everything got just a tiny bit easier because I could stop second guessing every single thing I did um, and I could just move on with doing things that felt right for me. Beautiful. Fabulous. Thank you, Pinky. Tits up, ladies. Pull up your big girl pants. We can do this. We are mothers. In the spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional owners and custodians of this country and their connection to land, water and community. We pay our respect to them, their cultures and customs and to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tits Up. This podcast was produced by Dave Stokes. For more information, connections with our guests and special offers from our show sponsors, please pop over to my website and check out the show notes, www.pinkymccabe.com. I would love it if you could please share the love by leaving a review. Five-star reviews will help other mums to find this support and information too.